John chapter number 6, and I'd like to begin reading in verse number 51. John chapter number 6, we'll begin reading in verse number 51. The Word of God says, I am the living bread which came down from heaven. This is, of course, our Lord speaking. He said, I am the living bread which came down from heaven. If any man eat of this bread, he shall live forever. And the bread that I will give is my flesh, which I will give for the life of the world. The Jews therefore strove among themselves, saying, How can this man give us his flesh to eat? Then Jesus said unto them, Verily, verily, I say unto you, Except ye eat the flesh of the Son of Man, and drink his blood, ye have no life in you. Whoso eateth my flesh, and drinketh my blood, hath eternal life. And I will raise him up at the last day. For my flesh is meat indeed, and my blood is drink indeed. He that eateth my flesh and drinketh my blood dwelleth in me, and I in him. As the living Father hath sent me, and I live by the Father, so he that eateth me, even he shall live by me. This is that bread which came down from heaven. Not as your fathers did eat manna and are dead. He that eateth of this bread shall live forever. These things said he in the synagogue as he taught in Capernaum. Many, therefore, of his disciples, when they had heard this, said, This is an hard saying. Who can hear it? When Jesus knew in himself that his disciples murmured at it, he said unto them, Doth this offend you? What, and if ye shall see the Son of Man ascend up where he was before? It is the Spirit that quickeneth, the flesh profiteth nothing. The words that I speak unto you, they are spirit and they are life. But there are some of you that believe not. For Jesus knew from the beginning who they were that believed not, and who should betray him. And he said, Therefore said I unto you, that no man can come unto me, except it were given unto him of my Father. From that time many of his disciples went back, and walked no more with him. Then said Jesus unto the twelve, Will ye also go away? Then Simon Peter answered him, Lord, to whom shall we go? Thou hast the words of eternal life. And we believe and are sure that thou art that Christ, the Son of the living God. Let's pray together. Father, we love you this morning. Thank you for letting us be in your house. I pray that you give us strength for the hour. And I pray that Christ would be magnified in everything that's said. Now, Lord, this group of people that's gathered here today, they're here because they with sincere hearts have come to seek you. But, Lord, you know what each heart needs. Lord, there could be some that are lost here today. It wouldn't be surprising in a group this size if there were. And there could be some that, though they may have the outward vestiges of, of religion, everything may look right on the outside, that there is a problem in their relationship with you inwardly. And Lord, only you would know that, but it wouldn't be a surprise. And Lord, there could be some here today that they love you and they're trying to serve you and they're doing their best, but they're weary, they're downtrodden, they're discouraged, Lord, and I pray that you'd minister to them. Lord, I guess to say all this just to say this, this is too big of a task for me, and I readily admit it this morning. So I'm asking the Holy Ghost of God to take the Word of God and to minister to each heart in that which would bring you glory. Lord, I pray that we would all, whatever our situation, respond in obedience to the Word of God this morning. Lord, we love you. We thank you for it. We ask all these things in Christ's name. Amen. I want you to notice a question that the Lord Jesus asks in verse number 61. Now we've read our text. I think it's apparent what's taking place. The Lord Jesus is, of course, uh, teaching that famous discourse on the bread of life and how that He is the only sustenance, the only satisfying thing for the human heart and for the human soul. How many of you found out that Jesus satisfies? Amen. Uh, listen, I tell you, I'm not looking for anything else. I don't need anything else. He's enough this morning. He satisfies. And the Lord Jesus is trying to communicate this truth through their 
hard hearts and to them. And, and the Bible says that when they hear this, they, rather than being joyous, rather than being glad, I mean, you'd think that's how they would have responded. You'd think they would have said, well, finally, something that can satisfy my hungry soul. Finally, I mean, he's offering them eternal life. You'd think that would have pleased them. But rather, the Bible says that they sort of balked at what he said. They were disturbed by what he said. They were upset by what he said. And the Bible even tells us in verse number 60 that many, therefore, of his disciples, when they heard this, said, this is a hard saying, who can hear it? And later on, you know, we're told that some of them departed. They went back, followed him no more. And Jesus gets to the heart of why this is in verse 61. The Bible says when Jesus knew in himself that his disciples murmured at it, he said unto them, doth this offend you? That word offense is an interesting word. We live in a world today where being offended is an Olympic sport. We live in a world where it don't take anything to offend people. Uh, you can oftentimes offend them just by stating uh, statements of, of objective truth. And for a great many people, that's enough to offend them. And I would just have you notice this morning that though the Lord Jesus, I don't believe He sat out to offend people, nor was He willing to sacrifice the truth on the altar of that which was socially acceptable. When there came a moment that speaking the truth offended, He just offended because He loved them enough to speak the truth even when it was an offense to them. I want to preach to you on this thought this morning, Jesus' most offensive sermon. The most offensive thing that He ever taught. And it's in our text here, but I would venture to say this. It's probably a little surprising that this would be His most offensive sermon. You think about some of the other statements he made. It wasn't when he looked at the Pharisees and told them that they were uh, the children of the devil. That wasn't what offended people the most. It wasn't when he looked at Israel and told them that they were hard-hearted, that they were heavy of ear, that they were unwilling to hear. That wasn't what offended them. But rather, it's this passage in John chapter number 6 that caused even those that professed love for him to turn around in offense and to walk away. Notice three statements made about their offense. Verse number 52, we can note their disorientation. The Bible says the Jews therefore strove among themselves saying, how can this man give us his flesh to eat? In other words, the first reason they were offended is because they couldn't understand him. Can I tell you, there's a great many people in the world get offended at God when they don't understand what he's doing. I'll tell you, there's going to be times in your life if you know the Lord, if you've been born again, and if you're serving God and living for Him, you go ahead and mark it down. You ain't always going to understand what God's doing. Uh, Today we're going to have this memorial service for Brother Richard and as I've done so many times, I'll have to look into broken eyes and broken hearts and say, "I, I can't explain why God did this. I don't understand why this would happen this way. But I've learned this long ago. God loves me enough that even when I don't understand Him, I can still trust Him. Even when I can't trace His hand, I can trust His heart. And there's going to be times you're not going to understand what God's doing. Is that going to offend you? I see their disorientation. Then I see their disgust. Verse 60. The Bible says that after he tells them, you have to eat my flesh, drink my blood, which of course is figurative statements, but they didn't understand it as such. And the Bible says many, therefore, of his disciples, when they had heard this, said, this is a hard saying, who can hear it? It's always funny to me when people talk about hard preaching. You ever heard someone describe a preacher? They say, boy, they're a hard preacher. I found this to be true, that the truth is hard. It's unbending, it's unyielding, it's unwavering. There's really not any hard preaching, there's just hard truths that we don't like preached to us. 
And when they say this is a hard saying, what they're saying is not merely we don't understand it, but we are unwilling to accept it. This runs contrary to the way that we live and what we've done. And because of that, we're not willing to receive it. There's some folks get offended at God when He does things that they don't expect. They thought He was going to zig and He zagged. But there's some folks that get upset at God when He tells them hard truths in their life. Let me tell you something. Some of the truths you need the most are hard truths. Uh, Listen, we don't need soft truths. You know why? Because if we're already softened up to that truth, we probably don't need it in the first place. We probably already accept it. Hey, listen, uh, the, the best medicine always tastes the worst. Somebody say amen to that. Now listen, I, I'm not old. I'm not going to tell you about when I was young and I was a whippersnapper. But I will just say one change that I've noticed. Medicine has gotten to tasting better. Could be because they're wanting us to eat more of it. Amen. <laughs> but I certainly remember when uh, the height of culinary delight medicinally was a Flintstones vitamin and nothing better. Amen. Now they got them. They're chewable. They taste like gummy worms. Can't figure out why kids get into medicine. Well, you make it taste like candy. They're going to get into medicine. If you make it taste like Papaw's toenails and it's, they're going to stay out of it. Amen. And uh, how do we get on that? Sometimes the medicine we need the most tastes the worst. Whenever he tells them this hard truth, man, they're they're offended. We see their disorientation, their disgust, how they were disturbed. But then notice how they respond in verse 66. From that time, many of his disciples went back and walked no more with him. Can I tell you this is a sad testimony to a great many today. Uh, that whenever God tells them some truth from the Word of God that is does not agree with how they want to live their lives, how they are living their lives, instead of bending themselves to the Word of God, instead of conforming and transforming themselves to the Word of God, what do they do? They simply just walk away and walk no more with Him. Now, why did all of this take place? Well, was it simply because Jesus said some offensive things? I would say this, that what He said was offensive, but rather we find there's a group of people later on in the passage that heard the same truth, heard the same message, were in the same situation, but chose to respond to it in a different way. Hey, you know the Bible says, Great peace have they which love thy law, and nothing shall offend them. Did you know it's your decision whether to get offended or not? I, listen, I, I just blew up this world's uh, theology when I said that, but it's the truth of the matter. It's our decision whether we get offended, and particularly so at the truth of the Word of God. Now, here's, here's the problem. Some of y'all are thinking, now, not my Jesus. He would never offend anybody. And I know, listen, you, you've, uh, your, your Jesus is the long-haired, Mountain Dew-drinking, snowboarding, radical Jesus that's hanging on velvet pictures in churches everywhere. But I would say this, that when we look at the words of the Lord Jesus, we find that it's not out of keeping at all with what he did and what he said. In fact, Jesus didn't shy away from offense. Listen to some of the things that he said in Luke chapter 12, verse 49. He said, I am come to send fire on the earth. And what will I if it be already kindled? Matthew 10:34. he said, think not that I am come to send peace on earth. That's going to mess up Christmas season for some of y'all. Amen. Think not that I am come to send peace. He said, I came not to send peace, but a sword. Now, rather than you thinking he's talking about lifting up a sword in physical violence, Luke records it this way. Suppose ye that I am come to give peace on earth. I tell you nay, but rather division. He says in verse uh, number 51 of Luke chapter 12, Jesus never said his job was to get everybody to kumbaya. 
In fact, what he said is when I show up and start speaking truth, it's going to cull the herd. It's going to divide people. He would go on to say in those passages that whenever I come and preach truth, there's going to be father turn against son and mother turn against daughter. It's going to blow families up. Jesus didn't shy away from offense because he understood intrinsically that both him as the truth manifests and the truth as an ideal are both objectively offensive to those that are peddling lies. The Bible says it in no uncertain terms in Romans chapter 9, verse 33. He says, Behold, I lay in Zion a stumbling stone and a rock of offense. Paul says in 1 Corinthians chapter number 1, verse 18, The preaching of the cross is to them that perish foolishness, but unto us which are saved it is the power of God. He says in verse 22 of that same chapter, The Jews require a sign and the Greeks seek after wisdom, but we preach Christ crucified unto the Jews a stumbling block and unto the Greeks foolishness, but unto them which are called both Jews and Greeks, Christ the power of God and the wisdom of God. I'm saying if Jesus offends you, He didn't break no promises doing it. He was up front that the personality and nature of Jesus Christ would be such that divided men. So it's not out of keeping that he would say and do something offensive. But here's the real question this morning. Why did it offend them? Here's an important question you ought to ask yourself next time you're offended. Why am I offended? That's all right. I'll take time. That's all right. If you all need to gather up your amens and deliver them all at once, I'm okay with that. Why am I offended? What is it about this that offends me? Why does it bother me? And we find in this passage that the statements that the Lord Jesus made offended them really for three reasons. Notice with me the first reason it offended them. We're told this in verse number 52. The Jews therefore strove among themselves, and this is what they said. How can this man give us his flesh to eat? Let me say number one, his statements offended their reason. Their logic, their rationale. They had certain expectations about the way God was supposed to behave, was supposed to respond, was supposed to communicate with man. And then here comes Jesus and He is revealing God in the flesh to humanity. He's not doing so through the office of a national prophet. He's not doing so through the credentials and channels of the Sanhedrin or of the Levitical priesthood, but rather He's God, raw and in the flesh, walking amongst men. And He's telling them, I am the living bread come down from heaven. You've got to eat of my flesh. And they said, hey, that don't compute up here. Can I tell you, a great many in the day that we live in, they reject and are offended by the Lord Jesus because what He demands and expects of them does not work with their worldview. One of the products of us living in such a, a, a weirdly connected yet atomized world that we're living in. And we are living in a world and, uh, that where, where they have managed to yoke us all up and split us all apart in an unusual way. Is that we are under the impression that everyone thinks what we think. And part of the reason that social media is such a, a seedbed of hostility and vitriol is because every once in a while, just occasionally, when the algorithms blink, someone has to hear an opinion contrary to their worldview. They're doing their best to fix that. They're trying to purge everybody that's got different opinions out of it. But every now and then, somebody will have to be faced with someone that says, Hey, that's not true. Hey, that's not right. Hey, what you said is not true. What you said does not ring 
with truth and that offends our reason. It disrupts our worldview. And that's what Jesus is doing to these men that are listening. Notice, He gives three things that offend their reason. The first thing He says is in verse 51, the first portion. He says, I am the living bread which came down from heaven. Let me say, number one, His incarnation offended their reason. They had certain ideas about who God was and how God communicated with mankind. And it's interesting, the, the figurative language that the Lord Jesus uses, He points back to the manna in the Old Testament, which was a sign of God's provision and God's favor and God's life to Israel as a nation. And He says, don't you realize that that was just a shadow to a greater bread that was coming one day? And now I am that bread. I am God manifest in the flesh, walking amongst you. I am your hope. I am your salvation. Salvation, And if you won't turn to me, then you won't get any help or hope. The incarnation is a mystery that still bothers the world. It's part of the reason they attack the Bible so viciously. You cannot divide, you cannot divorce the inspiration of Scripture and the incarnation of the Savior. They are one and the same in their purpose and in their intent. And there's a great many people that have a problem with the Scriptures and have a problem with the divinity of Christ because the notion that they're not looking for God but that God has already manifested Himself to them and they have rejected Him is completely contrary to their worldview. Can I tell you something? We're not waiting for the next latest, greatest prophet or apostle to disclose truth to us. We've got the Word of God. Hey, God, who at sundry times and divers manners hath spoken unto our fathers by the prophets, hath in these last days spoken unto us by His Son. This is how God's speaking and dealing. And there's a great many that are troubled at that. Because, let me tell you something about the Word of God. It don't change. Men can take it and copy and paste it and create some new abomination out of it, but that Bible don't change. And men today are as offended at the inspired Word of God as they were at the incarnate Savior at that time. He says, I'm the living bread which came down from heaven. They said, now wait a minute, we already have bread. We've got, we've got a pot of it in the Ark of the Covenant. We've got the bread we need. And Jesus says, no, I'm the bread that you need. His incarnation offended their reason. Notice number two, his salvation offended their reason. He says, if any man eat of this bread, he shall live forever. Now this was problematic to them because of their perspective on salvation and on eternal life and on what life meant. Their perspective was that one day a Messiah was going to come and bring in and reign everlasting righteousness and create a a Judaistic dynasty that would carry out through all the ages. But now he tells them that the life that God offers, it operates on a spiritual plane as well or maybe in, in preference to a tangible plane. And what he's saying is, if you want this life, you're going to have to deal with me. You're going to have to eat my flesh, drink my blood. You're going to have to have a relationship with me. You know why this world is so deeply bothered by God's offer of salvation? is because most of them don't have it. And they're bothered at the thought that there would be a salvation, a relationship with God that would be foreign and alien to them. When Jesus, I mean, you'd think they would have done a backflip. I mean, you'd think they would have rejoiced. You'd think they would have said, you're telling me you're here to give me eternal life. Glory to God. What do you need from me? How do I need to respond? But instead, the response is, what? I don't have eternal life already? And they're offended at it. One of the most offensive things you'll ever tell somebody is they need to be saved because most people walking around think they're saved in the first place. 
Now listen, when I say that, I'm not talking about trying to dislodge someone from confidence in a legitimate uh, salvation. I, I'm not talking about, hey, listen, I, I saved when I was 10 years old. My wife was saved younger than I was and because she's smarter than me and got in earlier. I'm not talking about trying to push people off of the confidence they have in their salvation and in, in having put their faith in Christ, being born again. But I'm saying if you go up to the average pagan, godless person walking up and down the street, they all think they're going to whatever they think heaven is. And when you tell them Christ came to save you, they say, save me, I'm all right in the first place. They drive around with bumper stickers that say, born right the first time. What are they getting at? They're saying, I don't need God. This is nothing new. Whenever Christ said, if any man shall eat of this bread, he shall live forever, they were offended at it. Likewise, then notice number three, his crucifixion offended their reason. He says, the bread that I will give is my flesh, which I will give for the life of the world. Now, in light of 2,000 years of Bible Christianity, it seems explicitly clear, does it not? But at that time, as they listened to this, they were troubled at the prospect. They understood he was talking about dying, but they didn't understand why he had to die for them in the first place. They were bothered at the notion that someone would have to go and pay their sin debt because they didn't believe they had a sin debt in the first place. Why are people so troubled at the prospect of a Savior? Because a Savior is only of any importance if we're a sinner. It's not so much. If the world could find a way to own Him as Savior without admitting they're sinners, a great many would. In fact, we have a term for that today. You know what it's called? It's called cultural Christianity. Cultural Christianity. Some of y'all were in the military and whenever, I don't know if they even still do this, they probably don't even ask you if you're a guy anymore. I don't know, but... Or maybe they ask you whether you're a guy or a letter X or a number seven or an at symbol or whatever now. But used to, when you got your dog tags, you had to list on there. You had to check a box what religion you were because they wanted to know uh, what, uh, you know, godless military servant was going to pray over you. And and (laughs) that's awful to say. But (laughs) only Fred amends me with that because he... Yeah, I know. I know, Fred. They just don't know. But... But you'd have to check that box. You'd say, well, I'm Catholic or I'm Protestant or I'm other or whatever it is. And, you know, there's a lot of people whose Christianity is nothing more than a box they've checked. This is culturally what I am. I am a Christian. And what they mean by that is when I go to a religious place, I go to a church. What they mean by that is when I post religious text on my social media or when I hang it on my wall, it is Bible text. It is quote-unquote Christian text. But to have a real relationship with God is completely foreign to them. And so the idea, what they've done is they have said, we want a Savior. We're just not willing to admit we're sinners. We want Him to hang around adjacent to our lives, but we don't really want to get born again. This is not a new problem. This exists even in their day. And so when Christ says, I'm going to give my life, I'm going to give my flesh for the life of the world, they are offended at this prospect. They're saying, there's no need to do that. Lord, you don't have to sacrifice yourself. Lord, you don't have to go to the cross. Why did they say that? Because they didn't believe they were sinners in the first place. I'll tell you this, if a man knows he's a sinner, he's going to want a Savior. When I realized I was a sinner, that was what I wanted. I didn't want a banker. I didn't want a PR marketer. I didn't want, listen, I didn't want a, I didn't just want some kind of, uh, of social agitator or leader. I needed a savior. And I'm glad he's a savior, aren't you? So it offended their reason. It disrupted their worldview, we could maybe say. But then notice a second reason. Not only did it offend their reason, but it also offended their religion. Now, after they say this, how is this possible? 
How are we going to partake in his flesh? How will this man give us his flesh to eat? Jesus saith unto them, verse 53, Verily, verily, I say unto you, except ye eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink his blood, ye have no life in you. Whoso eateth my flesh and drinketh my blood hath eternal life, and I will raise him up at the last day. Now, there's some context to everything in your Bible. And remember that in their perspective, when they talked about eating bread and when they talked about the sacrificing of flesh, they had a context in which they understood that. When they talked about eating bread, they were thinking of it in a religious sense, eating the unleavened bread for the Feast of Unleavened Bread, the priest that would uh, eat of the table of showbread. And whenever blood was referenced and spoken about in the context of the Jews' religion, it was always in a sacrificial sense. So when Jesus points to his flesh as bread and his blood as the drink or the blood that is necessary, here's what he's saying. He's saying, your bread's not enough. Your blood's not enough. He, they understood what he was saying, but the emphasis was upon himself and him saying, what you've been doing isn't enough. You've been eating of this showbread. You've been eating of the unleavened bread. Uh, if you're a common Jewish worshiper, uh, you have been, uh, you know, sacrificing the blood of bulls and of goats, and that's all you've ever known. But I'm here to tell you, that's not enough. You've got to have my flesh as bread. You've got to have my blood as sacrifice. Here's what he was doing, and here's why it offended their religion. He was pointing to the resource that it was missing. He's saying the problem with what you've got is it's temporal and it's not eternal. You have a form of worship. You have a system through which you approach unto God. But never has that been sufficient or was it designed to ever give you righteousness or sanctify you. Paul said it this way in the New Testament, By the works of the law shall no flesh be justified. Hebrews writer says it's not possible for the blood of bulls and of goats to take away sin. That every year they offered those same sacrifices over and over again. And they obviously didn't make the comer thereunto perfect or they would have ceased to be offered. But now, once in these last days, God has given His Son as a sacrifice for our sins. And what bothered them was it reminded them that their religion was missing something fundamental. That despite however it affected their life culturally, despite however it defined their identity nationally, it had no ability to save their soul. Your religion may be good for you here. How's it going to look when you get to heaven? How's it going to look when you stand before God? Will it hold in that day? Will it stand in that day? I'm not talking about the degree of your devotion or the purity of your piety and passion. I'm saying what your religion's based on, does it hold currency with God? I can tell you what holds currency with God, and that's the shed blood of Jesus Christ. I tell you, that's why the, the world and even, even some uh, heretics and modernists will, will sneer and despise old-time Bible Christianity. They'll call it a butcher's religion and a bloody religion. And I say, bless God for the blood. Because without the blood, there's no remission of sins. Listen, they can have their modernist, intellectual, compromised, uh, academic, cultural Christianity, but that ain't going to mean anything when they stand before God. The blood, the blood is all that will matter. 
I would say this, it, it showed him the resource that it that was missing. Not only that, look at verse 55. He says this, For my flesh is meat indeed, and my blood is drink indeed. Now, his intention in saying this is not to say, I want you to physically eat my flesh, physically drink my blood. Uh, the Catholics have said that's what happens when we take the Lord's Supper. There is no shred of that in the Bible in any way, shape, fashion, or form. Uh, nowhere does the Bible say the bread becomes his flesh. Nowhere does the Bible say uh, that the great juice becomes his blood. They have read that in and by papal bull and papal edict have read that into religion. There's no foundation in the word of God. So Jesus, his purpose here was not to be explicit, but to be implicit. His purpose was not to say, here is a chunk of my flesh, now eat it. But his purpose was to say, just as when you partake in something, it becomes a part of you. When you partake in me through faith, I will become a part of you. He goes on to describe that. He says, He that eateth my flesh and drinketh my blood dwelleth in me and I in him. He's not saying eat of my flesh and we'll dwell together. He's saying dwell together. That's like eating my flesh. He's saying have a relationship with me and it's just as sure as if you have partaken in me. Then he goes on to describe it in verse 57. As the living Father hath sent me and I live by the Father, so he that eateth me, even he shall live by me. I have plenty of examples of the Lord Jesus eating in Scripture, but nowhere are we told that He plucked the flesh of the Father from the glories and ate of it. Uh, Nowhere are we told that. So obviously this is all figurative. And what is the goal and purpose? I told him in Sunday school this morning, you'll always go astray if you try to use the Bible for something it wasn't meant for. You can take the Bible and make it say anything you want to believe. But you always have to ask, what is being, what is the intent of the passage here? What is the intent that Jesus is communicating? What he's saying is this, if you will partake of me, you will have a relationship with me. And if you have a relationship with me, that is partaking in me. Here's what he's zeroing in on, why it offended them because of the relationship that their religion was missing. He was saying, here's the problem with your religion. It hasn't given you a relationship with God. You don't hear from Him. You don't talk to Him. Uh, You don't see Him manifest in your life. He's saying if you know God the way you're supposed to know God, you'll have a relationship with Him. I'll tell you part of the reason that Bible Christianity is so offensive is because it shatters to pieces the facade. It tears apart the tissue paper of cultural Christianity's notion of what relationship with God is. Great many people think relationship with God is nothing but meditating in quietude. That's not a relationship with God. A lot of people think a relationship with God is merely uh, giving a hat tip to Him culturally and, and atmospherically in your life, giving Him a place at the table uh, of your cultural interest. But that's not what a relationship with God is. What is a relationship with God? It's God dwelling in you and you dwelling in Him. How does that happen? When you get born again, the Holy Spirit of God takes up residence in your heart and in your life. And you are positioned in the person of Christ such that you reap all the benefits that Christ as the only begotten Son of God reaps. That's why the Bible says, to as many as received Him, to them gave He power to become the sons of God, even to them which believe on His name. And the reason they were so bothered by this is He said, hey, if you know God the way you're supposed to know God, you'll have a relationship with Him. And they looked around and said, we ain't got no relationship relationship with him. That's why a great many people are offended at the preaching of the cross of Calvary because it reminds them that there's something missing from their life. And you have you have two choices when that's preached to you. You can either get bowed up and get mad and walk away and walk no more as the Bible says some did or you can say, hey, I need to get that. If that's what eternal life is, I want that. 
I mean, what's this thing all about in the first place if it ain't about knowing God and knowing him personally? So we see the relationship it was missing. But then notice verse 58, he says this, This is that bread which came down from heaven, not as your fathers did eat manna and are dead, He that eateth of this bread shall live forever. I love it when the Holy Ghost slows down and uses small words. I need that sometimes. And you can almost hear Jesus talking as though he were talking to some some foreign person and trying to talk in slow, deliberate language as he explains this to him. He says, this, meaning me and a relationship with God through me, putting your faith in me and me being a part of your life, this is that bread which came down from heaven. And it's like they looked around and he said, not as your fathers did eat manna and are dead. He that eateth of this bread shall live forever. I like how he does that. Sometimes you've got to take it slow with people like me. What he's saying is you've got something you've been relying on. When he talks about the manna, again, he's hearkening back to Israel's national relationship with God. And he's saying, you think you're okay with God because you're a Jew. You think because your fathers ate manna that that means something with God. But here's the truth of the matter. Your fathers ate manna and they're dead today. But if you eat of this bread, if you have this type of relationship, it will change you now and forever. He's saying that gave them a temporal satisfaction and sustenance and it served a purpose at the time. But he's saying, I'm here to give you something more than that. Can I tell you, did you know God can do cooler things than pay your bills? Did you know His best trick is not just to help you patch things up or or to help you get your car fixed or whatever it might be. God can do all those things. And, I, and listen, I understand. I'm not trying to be too cynical. So Listen, if your car's broke down, what you need is a car fixed. Amen. I'm glad God can do it. But I'm saying this. God didn't just show up so that you could live your best life now. Uh, God came and died in your place on Calvary so that you could live the best life forever through Jesus Christ. He has done something far greater and more glorious than that. But here's Here's the issue with them. They're still leaning on that old bread. Now, none of them ate of any of that bread because there hadn't been none of that bread except a pot of it in the Ark of the Covenant that everyone was forbidden of being able to look upon in the first place. So here's what they were doing. They were saying, now, we've never ate of that bread, but my daddy's 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 mom did eat some of that bread. And that ought to be good enough. They were saying, well, you know, there, there was a time. And don't you know we're Jews? We're, we're, we're of the Jewish faith and Jewish blood. And, and this is our religion. And, and that should be enough. And Jesus says, no. No, it's not enough. Can I tell you something? Listen, God doesn't have any grandkids. You say, but, but, but preacher, my daddy was a deacon. That might be a point against him. You and God might have to work that out when you get to heaven. Amen. I don't know. You say, but preacher, my daddy was a preacher. Well, that's even worse. Preacher, you don't understand. I had godly parents. Praise God for them. That doesn't get you in. Hey, God has no grandchildren. They were saying, we're good. Our fathers ate of the manna. He's saying, if your fathers ate of the manna and are good, then why did they die? And why are you spiritually dead today? He's saying, don't you realize something's missing? I would say it this way. He points to the repentance that their religion was missing when faced with the reality that what they had wasn't enough, but that what was enough was standing right in front of them, instead of turning from that and turning to Christ, they doubled down and said, no, thank you. We don't need of any of your bread. We have this bread. And he's saying, don't you realize that those that ate of that bread died long ago? So obviously, hey, can I ask this question? Is what you got getting it done? Is what you got getting it done? 
Is cultural, is that getting it done? Does that help you sleep at night? Did that transform your life? Did that change how you're living? Did that give you a new want to inside? I would say this, if it ain't getting it done, I'd find out why it ain't getting it done. Because I'll tell you this, what he gives gets it done. It gets it done. It offended their religion. And then notice one final thing, and I'm done this morning. Look what he says in verse number 61. Now, the, the, the scene has sort of changed. I mean, you understand that. He said that in Capernaum, and, and, and then they get alone, and his disciples, they're still struggling with this thing. And many, therefore, of his disciples, when they had heard this, said, This is a hard saying. Who can hear it? They're, well, they're saying, Lord, can't you soften up a little bit? I mean, can't you just, can't you just dial it down about three notches? I mean, you're gonna embarrass yourself. Talking about eating your flesh and, and drinking your blood. I mean, these people don't understand what you're saying and, and this is a hard saying. Uh, people are gonna turn around, they're gonna walk away from you. What did the Lord do? Did He say, well now, whoa, wait a minute. We need to get a focus group together. We need to find out if my language is appealing to the masses. We, we need to get some people in here, buy them some coffee and get their opinions about this whole outfit. We need to find out. You know, maybe we need to paint our golf carts a different color. I mean, maybe we need to change the backdrop on our, on our, you know, bulletin screen, you know, portrait. I mean, maybe we need to do something. We need to focus group this thing and figure it out. No. <laughs> Verse 61, when Jesus knew in himself that his disciples murmured at it, he said unto them, doth this offend you? Does it bother you? Does it bother you? Now, here's the thing. Here's what a lot of people want to do. Yeah! And turn around and walk off. And some did that. Some did that. The wiser one said, wonder why that bothers me. Wonder why that upsets me. I'll tell you this, that very often, uh, my preacher used to say it this way, you throw a rock into a pack of dogs, the one that yelps is the one that got hit. Why does that bother me? He says, does this offend you? And then he says this, what? And if ye shall see the Son of Man ascend up where he was before, it is the Spirit that quickeneth. The flesh profiteth nothing. The words that I speak unto you, they are spirit and they are life. Now, can I remind you that this is said in the wake of Jesus feeding 5,000 people. And a great bit of this crowd that had gathered around him did not come because they had hungry souls. They came because they had hungry bellies. And the Lord Jesus replies and says, so you're bothered by this. I mean, they're ready to have dinner on the grounds. They're ready, you know, all right, Lord, what are we going to eat? It's time to eat. And he says, you're going to eat my flesh and my blood. And they went, ooh. What do you mean eat your flesh and eat your blood? And he said, don't you realize all this physical stuff, that's not what satisfies. No more than this physical stuff satisfied your fathers. They ate of that and are dead. You need something more than that. You need life. You need spirit. You need a transformed life through the spirit of God. And they start to bow up on him and they start to get upset. And it's in that context that Jesus says, what? And if ye shall see the Son of Man ascend up where he was before. In other words, he's saying, what if I just stop the meal train? What if I never broke another loaf of bread for you? What if I never broke another fish for you? Would I still be enough for you? He says, it's a spirit that quickeneth. He says, all this stuff's passing away anyway. The flesh profiteth nothing. The words that I speak unto you, they are spirit and they are life. Let me say it this way. What he said this day offended their respectability. Can I tell you something that not a lot of people want to admit, but it's the truth? There is a very tenuous, uneasy... Uh, covenant and pact between most Christians of being unwilling to acknowledge one another's carnality. If we can just maintain this facade of respectability, just keep things peaceful, then that's what we'll call church. Here's why they were bothered, because he showed that they weren't interested in the things of God. 
They were interested in the things of their gut and nothing more. And they said, don't, no, listen, don't, don't, don't bring that up. Don't talk that way. He said, the whole reason I'm here is to talk to you that way. He said, you've got all sorts of corrupt and craven leaders that'll make you feel better. Go find one of them. But if you want truth, he says, I'll speak truth to you. He showed them to be fleshly. Then notice verse 65. He says, but there are some of you that believe not. <laughs> That'll blow a church wide open. For Jesus knew from the beginning who they were that believed not and who should betray him. Now, notice how the Holy Ghost says this. He says, who would believe not and who should betray him? That tells me he is talking about Judas, but he's talking about more than Judas. Right. And here's what he understood. Some of them out here was just playing games. And they were bothered that he would dare say that some of them were just a bunch of hypocrites playing games. He said, here's the reality. Some of y'all don't believe in me. Some of y'all don't trust in me. You're not here because you believe I'm the Son of God. You're here because I filled your belly. You'd be satisfied to go down to some carnival barker if they could feed your belly. He said, I'm not interested in just opening up a show. I'm interested in transforming people's lives. And when he said that, they were offended. How dare you acknowledge something that's transparently obvious to all of us, that we're only willing to follow you when things are going well. How dare you acknowledge that we don't really believe in you because if we did, we'd be far more interested in the spiritual things you can do for us than we would be in the sustenance you can provide for us. I tell you this, man, it don't take long to offend people when you talk to them that way. He showed them to be faithless and finally showed them to be false. Verse 65, a lot of people misunderstand this verse. And he said, therefore said I unto you that no man can come unto me except it were given unto him of my father. Now, a lot of people misunderstand what this means. They, the the cow just like this verse. They're like, yeah, well, what he's saying here is that you can't get born again unless God says you can get born again. I, I believe that. I also believe that he has done said everybody can get born again. They'll come unto him. Amen. I believe that any that come unto him, he'll in no wise cast out. I believe that death for every man. Let's just go ahead and pluck all the panels off your tulips, all right? I, I, I believe that he'll save any and all that come come to him he'll save us he'll forgive us but that's really not what christ is dealing with here when he's talking about coming unto him he's talking about coming unto him in an external sense and what he's saying is i've already told you that following the external following me around like a puppy dog waiting for me to drop bread for you but that's not what this is about you have to have a relationship with god or else following me is meaningless in the first place I'll tell you something that really upsets a lot of Christianity today. And that's that having the outward trappings of Christianity without a relationship with God is worth less than nothing. It's an offense to God. You'd be better to be a rank pagan than you would be to just be playing games. And here's what he did. He showed them to be false. He said, some of y'all ain't real. And that offended them. Let me tell you something. Nothing upsets a liar more than the truth. Nothing upsets a false person more than, than hey, listen, nothing scatters darkness like that. And when he begins to show that they're not genuine, they're not sincere, this is all a game to them, and nothing more they get offended at. And you say, well, preacher, I've already done learned. I went to my college, my professor taught me. If I get offended, it's the person's fault that offended me. But I would show you this this morning. You know, some went away, but not all of them. Some didn't go away. There were some that, oh, my soul, they got victory over being offended. <laughs> Who ever heard of such a thing? Don't you know? The, the, the protocol is get offended, quit church. That's the protocol. But that's not what God did. 
Peter didn't do that. Notice this. Not only Peter, but the other twelve. Jesus said unto the twelve, will ye also go away? Now, he knew the answer to this already, but they needed to say it. You know, sometimes it does us good just to plant our flag and declare where we stand. And Peter says this. He took that big old size 12 fishing boot out of his mouth just long enough to say something good here. Then Simon Peter answered him, Lord, to whom shall we go? Thou hast the words of eternal life. And we believe and are sure that thou art that Christ, the son of the living God. So some went away, some didn't. Why did some not go away? Well, here's what Peter says. Lord, we got nowhere else to go but the Lord. No one else will receive us. No one else wants us. No one else loves us. Lord, to whom would we go? I'll tell you this. You know why you ought not get offended at God? Because nobody loves you like God loves you. Nobody will receive you like God receives you. Nobody will put up with me or you the way that God puts up with us. Peter says, I got, I got no one else to go to but the Lord. And then notice he says this, thou hast the words of eternal life. He says, there's no one else to give eternal life. He said, there's no one else I can go to but the Lord. But even if I went to him, what would they do for me? Because there's no one else to give eternal life except you, Lord. I hate to tell you this, God's done got you over a barrel. He owns the trademark to eternal life. Amen. Sorry, the intellectual property is under his license. He owns it. You can get mad at him. That won't save you. You can get offended at him. I promise you there is no complaint department in heaven. Amen. No complaint department in heaven. There is no line of people waiting to, 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 to vomit vitriol all over some lower level bureaucrat whose job is there to be cannon fodder. It won't do you any good to murmur against God. He's God whether we like it or not. Amen. There's nowhere else to go for eternal life. And then finally he says this, and we believe. And are sure that thou art that Christ, the son of the living God. He said this, we've got nowhere else to go but the Lord. And there's no one else to give eternal life. Then he said this, there's no one else to get us to the living God. He says, how are we going to get to God if we won't come through his son? Why would the father receive us if we reject the son? If we're not willing to come to the son, how will we ever get to the father? How will we get to God without the savior? I'll tell you why you shouldn't bow up on God because He's your only hope. Amen. That's the truth of it. I'm not listening. I'm trying to be caustic or ugly, but I am just trying to tell you the truth. You got nowhere else to go but Him. No one else can do for you what He can do for you. No one else can do for you what you need done for you, and no one else can get you to God but Him. Get offended at Him if you want, but you do it at your own peril. I'll tell you this, we always think we're the first ones to ever get offended at God. People have been getting offended at God ever since mankind made a decision. People have been getting offended at God. I promise you, Adam and Eve were not thrilled at the prospect of having their keys to the Garden of Eden took away. People have been getting offended at God ever since the beginning. You ain't the first, but I'll tell you this, you're the only one that can control the course and direction of your life. I'll tell you that getting offended at God ain't going to help you. But there is a way to get over that offense. We can acknowledge, hey... He's the only God there is. I better make peace with him because there's nowhere else to go. Let's bow together this morning as a musician comes to play. The altar's open. God spoke to your heart this morning. I want you to come down to the altar. There could be a couple reasons that God spoke to your heart. Uh, one of the things could be that there's some matter in your life that you've took offense at the Lord. You wouldn't be the first or the last. It's happened, I guess, all of us at some time. The question is not, 
whether you're just or not just, because God's always right and you're always wrong if there's ever a question between the two. The question is, are you willing to get it right with Him? Are you willing to bow the knee before Him? To bend the heart before Him? Say, now Lord, I know it's not possible for you to be wrong, so it must be me. Are you willing to give up that offense? Or there might be somebody here that would say, Preacher, if I'm to be honest this morning, I, I believe I'm right with the Lord. I'm not upset at Him. I'm not angry at Him. But I've got a loved one who I'm burdened for because they've took offense at the Lord and at His Word, and, and I'm burdened for Him. Won't you come down and pray for Him this morning and ask God to work in their heart and in their life? Father, bless this invitation. May it magnify Christ. We ask it in His name with our heads.